You're listening to the podcast of Always Forward, the church planting initiative of the Anglican Church in North America, helping plant gospel-centered, sacramental, missional churches. For more information and resources, please visit always-forward.com. Hey, church planters, it's Sean McCain here with Dan Alger. On another episode of our Always Forward podcast, it's so good to be with you again. We've got a great interview for you, but before we get to that, Dan, what's been going on, my man? How are you? I'm good, buddy. How are you doing? You sound full of energy. I'm, I, I mean, I feel pretty encouraged and energetic. You sound like you're dragging yeah. a little bit. You had a rough week? What's going on? Well, which is it? Do I sound like I'm full of energy or do I sound like I'm dragging? <laughs> no, I'm full of energy. You sound you're like you're full dragging. of energy. I sound like I'm a little, I'm a little tired. Well, there's a, <laughs> there's a couple of things going on right now. One, we just had a great week. I'm tired, but it's a good tired because we just had, we had our, uh, ADOTS, Anglican Diocese of the South, uh, partnered with Gulf Atlantic Diocese, and we did a church planter assessment this past week. Uh, we had um, we had around eight couples that were there uh, that were discerning, all at different stages of discernment about church planting, and got to spend a lot of time with them, just helping them in that process. Uh, and uh, it's it's such a wonderful gift for a church planter's assessment is, because you get to kind of peel open their lives a little bit and help them along in this process of discernment, help them to see uh, um, where some struggles might come from, uh, help them work through the timing in their life for all this work. And it's just a really loving thing. And so, I mean, for the folks that we said, yeah, go get this. And for the folks that we went, not now, this isn't the time. It really ended up being a really loving Mm -hmm. thing for folks. And so it was great. Um, but I taught for four hours straight and then, uh, and one day and then like two hours the next day. And so it was, it was just a long week, but it was good. And I'm going to Thailand on Wednesday. Oh, there's that. Pick up some groceries. I was, I was hungry, for? For some, hungry for some. <laughs> There's bad better thai. ways to get Thai food. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I'm allergic to peanuts, so this is a, I have to oh, I have to be really careful man. here when I go to Thailand. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, so no, I'm uh, I'm finishing up. I'm finishing up. This is my last year of my demon um, uh, at Asbury, and uh, we are going to Thailand to study church planting movements in Thailand. Uh, and so I'll be there for for a couple of weeks, leaving in just a couple of days. It's Monday today, and I'm leaving on Wednesday. So. Uh, so that's cool. Um, big times, big times ahead. Yeah. I want to so hear good. about Thanks. that when you get back. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Well, I, I think I'll just blend into the, with the culture cause I look kind of Taiwanese. You totally could just fit in. You might get lost. Just, you know, <laughs> they might, they might not know where I am. <laughs> <laughs> Describe him. What does he look like? Well, <laughs> he doesn't fit in at all here. Um, well, that's good. Well, I hope you uh, get some rest and have a safe trip to Thailand. And I hope we hear Thanks. a lot about it when you get back. It, it would be, yeah. re- you know, that'd be really interesting to actually have conversations about church planning movements happening in different parts of the country and in different yeah. parts of the world and seeing yeah. what we can learn from that. That would be an interesting conversation. Mm-hmm. So maybe you well, can go live me. from Thailand <laughs> when you find your answers. <laughs> I'll, I'll go live, Facebook live. It'll be like three in the morning or something. That's fine. It's I'm 11. ready. I'm game. I'm down. <laughs> Let's do it. Um, yeah, you know, depending on who you ask or, or who who you read, anyway, um, some people will say that that um, there are no church planting movements, true church planting movements in the West, um, and that there never will be because of the nature of of our Western culture. But that's but another they don't know about for always forward, day. though. <laughs> they don't <laughs> know about us. They don't even know about us. That's all right. And that's our right. awesome listeners that we have out there that are part of this Anglican movement under the radar that we are. Well, right, man. speaking of, uh, what, what did you yeah. want? Tell me about your week. What'd you do? Oh, my week. Your weeks. I was going to yeah, say, speaking you of sleep, <laughs> didn't get much of it this week. 
um, no, I, so I, um, man, I, we just started, um, teaching, um, a membership class at res and that kicked off. And, yeah. you know, I spent a lot of this week thinking why membership and, um, cause I had some really good provocative pushback, people saying, you know, is it, where is this in the tradition? And, um, isn't membership just about, uh, you know, pressuring people to tithe and disciplining things when t- people, when, when things go wrong. And, um, and so I, I spent a lot of time, uh, this last month and especially this last week putting together a membership class, envisioning membership as a rule of life, um, and, and coming to an agreement as a community about the ways that we're going to pattern our lives, the liturgies that are going to form us, the ways that we're going to inhabit life of worship and generosity and, and a um, mission even in South Austin. So that was really encouraging. So we rolled that out. We had a bunch of people at res who were starting that process. That's been pretty fun. Um, brother, I preached on Exodus 16 this week. So this is, people are going to hear this a little later. This is proper 20, bread from heaven. Oh man, such a good, anyways. Mm, and then finally, I, uh, I worked on a, a paper for a class at a Neshota house um, on Chrysostom's sacramental vision and how he, how in, in some of his work we see um, kind of the, um, the seeds of missiology in his sacramental vision. So kind of, again, pulling together what, how, what is a sacramental outlook? How does that influence missiology? So I've had a, a really deep thinking, a lot of time behind a computer screen, sleepless week, you know, one of yeah. those, but I'm glad it's behind me and I'm glad I'm well, recording a podcast with you now. And, and you have 15 children. And, so and I've got 15 children. A little bit. Have we told our listeners that you have another child on the way? Oh, I'm sure they know. I mean, everybody knows, right? Like, if of course, Sean always has another child. Sh- by the way. <laughs> it's it's just a perpetual state of pregnancy in your home. There, it's um, actually it's, so, now I'm in like the upper echelons of Anglican clergy family sizes. Y- you I'm, are, yeah. I'm competing for some top ranks, but Keith Hartzell yeah. has come up. He's got a ton of kids, and Lee Nelson. Mm-hmm. I think there's there's got to be more than us three with six kids. I know there's more. Yeah, Haw- Alan Hawkins it, has five. But it's an elite. It's an elite group. Justin Howard, a church planter in Maine on our national team, he has five. He's got a bunch, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so six, man, you're, you're doing it. Six is, uh, church. You're, I you're, think, I think you're being you fruitful s- and multiplying. I think when you have six <laughs> kids, the archbishop sends you like a gold membership card of some sort for the ACNA <laughs> clergy, right? At the assembly, you get that's like right. VIP access to things. Yes, that's a good idea. I, I think that's right. I think that's someone's right. listening to yeah. that. Well, speaking of right. sleep and um, and uh, wonderful conversations, we have a really good interview for you two guys. You guys today, um, my dear friend Tish Warren, who wrote a book, "The Liturgy of the Ordinary." Uh, we interviewed her, and we're gonna we're gonna actually jump into that conversation. What's really good about this, and this is a real surprise to me, Dan, reading this book, and then making these connections of uh, how the liturgy, how 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 this book actually helps me make connections of the ordinary life and church planting and connecting some dots between um, kind of the mundane, monotonous things that I do as a church planner and as a pastor that no one sees and why those things actually matter. Um, And I'm not talking about writing sermons or balancing a budget. I'm talking about um, the more interesting things like becoming aware of the presence of God um, in, in prayer or in those, those disciplines of like getting a lot of good sleep, um, setting boundaries for yourself, all kinds of really good things that for me, I was able to reap out of this wonderful book, Liturgy of the Ordinary by Tish Warren. So So if you haven't read it, here's what I would suggest you do. Um, open up your Amazon app right now on your, on your phone, go buy it. Um, listen to this episode, read it, and then listen to this episode again. Right. So then we get get two listens. (laughs) 
<laughs> is that cheating? I don't think that's, that's good. Cheating. No, that's yeah. pretty good. Uh, yeah, it's a great book in a, in a wonderful conversation that we had uh, earlier today with uh, with Tish as well. And so uh, let's get right to it. Let's get uh, let's get Tish with our re- with our listeners, shall we? Hello, church planters. We are here with Tish Warren, who is a priest in the uh, Diocese of Pittsburgh and the author of a really amazing book called Liturgy of the Ordinary. And uh, if you haven't read Liturgy of the Ordinary, you need to read Liturgy of the Ordinary. When it was first, uh, when it was first suggested to me, I said I asked the person who talked to me about it and said, "Well, what is a Liturgy of the Ordinary? What's it about?" And they said, "Well, you just got to read it. Um, and when you read it, you'll you'll start to really kind of grasp what this thing's about." And uh, and I really love it. And so, Tish, welcome, uh, welcome to the podcast. It is good to uh, good to see you. Yeah, good to be here. Thank you and, for uh, Tish, is, uh, Tish and Sean are good friends as well. Tish used to live down in Austin, and uh, and so she she was there uh, towards the beginning of Church of the Resurrection as well. And so uh, so they have a good relationship. So this is fun. We'll just we just get to hang out and talk about good book with uh, with good folks here today. Yes, Sean McCain is one of my favorite human beings. In fact, oh, I wow. I we have said oh. this before, not on a podcast, but I oh, do not think my That's husband nice. and I would be in the ACNA today were it not for Sean. Wow. It's like, well, I think let's be, fair. let's be fair. Res is, is amazing. Right. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. The church, not just me. Not just Sean. No, 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 no. Yeah. The whole thing. The uh, res was incredible. It was the, um, first church plan that my husband and I were part of. And we were, we were there at the, the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> we, were, we were there at the very, very beginning. And we were like, we don't know where this goes. We don't know what we're getting into, but it was, it was beautiful. Absolutely. I remember, when, uh, can I tell this quick story? When I met sure. Jonathan for the first time, uh, he was in his collar. He was, he was actually writing, finishing up his um, dissertation and he kind of just, Jonathan has this like disheveled kind of mad scientist thing. He comes bustling out of this office. Did we say Jonathan's my husband? I don't know. Yeah, right. Jonathan's Tish's husband. He was on um, the show last year. He was on last season. He was. Yeah. Talking about the Church Fathers. Mission right. according to the Fathers. That's right. That's a yep. great episode. Um, uh, so, I, I, uh, hey, Jonathan, nice to meet you. I'm Sean. And <laughs> he, he kind of gives me this look and we shake hands. Late, like maybe two years later, we talk about that moment when we first met each other. And I was thinking... I told Jonathan, man, I was so glad to meet you. I was even praying, God, give me this guy. I want to be friends with this guy because I just moved to town. And I was like, Jonathan, what were you thinking? He was like, <laughs> it wasn't so fun. He was like, who's this guy from California? This jerk? Who do we think? Who does he think he is? <laughs> he came out and he was like, he's really Californian. <laughs> <laughs> That's, so anyways, we had a, a little bit of a rocky start, but it's, well, we love each other now. It's so good. Yeah. It was just fun. <laughs> All right, it's so good to see you, Thanks for being on our, our, our chat today. We want to walk everybody through your good book. This is such a good book, Liturgy of the Ordinary. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, Let, you, oh, go ahead, Dan. Thank you. Take it away. Well, I was going to start. I was going to read a quote from the book and get us going. Is that good? Oh, yeah, totally. Okay. All right. All right. So, 
So like I said, when I was, when the first book was first, um, uh, was, was first recommended to me and I asked what it's about, they said, well, you just kind of have to, you have to read it and, and see. Um, it's not something to be sort of described outside of that. So let me, let me read, I'm going to push a couple of quotes together here and to kind of give an intro to, to what Liturgy of the Ordinary is. And then, uh, and then Tish, I'd love for you to just kind of speak into it, explain it a little bit further. All right. So here, here's what I mean. Um, book uh, towards the beginning of the book it says this in church on sunday we participate in a liturgy a ritualized way of worship that we repeat each week and by which we are transformed when we have everyday habits formative practices that constitute daily liturgies so examining my daily liturgy as a liturgy as something that both revealed and shaped what i love and worship allowed me to realize that my daily practices were malforming me, making me less alive, less human, less able to give and receive love throughout my day. Changing this ritual allowed me to form a new repetitive and contemplative habit that pointed me toward a different way of being in the world. Um, I mean, I think in some ways that's kind of uh, a summary of what you're getting at in, in the, the, in the entirety of the book. Is that right? I mean, is it it, of of just how, explain a little bit what you mean by these daily liturgies and how they're formative and how they connect with what we normally think of kind of a weekly public worship service liturgy. How do those two things connect? Yeah. Yes. I would say that that is in many ways, like um, the book doesn't really have a thesis because it's not an argument. It's more like a, it's an exploration of one day. I mean, it's about one day of my life. The whole book is about, waking to sleeping on one really average boring day. But if there's kind of a theme that holds it all together, it's that it's what you just quoted. And that, um, so in general, I mean, I um, would say that this book came out of my own like deep wrestling with what it meant to be faithful in my ordinary life. And um, as a, as a mom and a mom of young kids and, but it's not a mom book. It just really as a person that, you know, has to bills to pay and um, task. I don't like, like there's an entire chapter on email um, and, and <laughs> how much I hate it. And, uh, and um, so, you know, I, kind of in my formation in evangelicalism and and then the subculture I was part of, there was a huge, um, I think, value placed on kind of giant spectacular in terms of spectacle, like spectacular mm. encounters with God um, that were uh, emotional and transformative and full of adrenaline. And, um, and I, and that was growing up, it was sort of this kind of, um, you know, worship experience. And then late, you know, I got really involved in in kind of early, um, sorry, you might be able to hear people in the background. Sorry. Um, That's no problem. It's just a liturgy of the ordinary. Yeah. It's a normal day. (laughs) That's our neighbor. Um, Anyway, so sort of the spectacular experience of God. And then, and then later that, that ended up looking like in social justice circles, sort of like really risky, um, kind of living, taking big risks, living among the poorest of the poor. And um, all of those are good things. I mean, it's good to encounter God. It's good to have emotions around encountering God. It's, we are called in scripture to love and serve the poor. But then I, but then as a 30 something, I found myself in a house with two kids and 
figuring out what does it look like to be faithful on like my average Wednesday. Um, and, and so I was wrestling deeply with that. And then at the same time, around the same time, I mean, there was a long season of wrestling, but in that season of wrestling, I, I encountered James K. A. Smith's work, which was so important to me and is really foundational for the book. Um, because there was a lot of things that were telling me, you know, your everyday life is important to God, your everyday life matters to God. But I wanted to know, like, how? How does it matter? Why does it matter? Not just the fact that it matters, but how do I actually live my daily life as if it were worship, as if it mattered to God? And I didn't just want to hold that as like a mantra in my head so that as I'm like folding towels, I'm telling myself this matters to Jesus. But I'm, but how do I actually... How, do, how does one live out our ordinary life as part of our worship? And so his work was really important to me because it gave me a lens to see all, um, to see lots of things as liturgy. So not liturgy is not just what we do on Sunday together, but that, I mean, in his book in Desiring the Kingdom famously, he talks about going to the mall as a liturgy, as a liturgical experience and how all of these things are touching, are shaping us and forming our idea of the good life and the meaningful life, the beautiful life. And that shapes our desire uh, and shapes our worship. And so um, the verse that you, I mean, the verse, the, the quote that you read from my book, um, <laughs> which is not scripture, is, um, is a part of that um, understanding of that my I began to think of the rituals and habits that form my daily life and I would say most of our daily life is formed by rituals and habits and you know modern neuroscience bears that out that most of what we do is habituated that I started thinking about those as liturgies as things that shaped me. And so because of that, I think I could examine it in a different way of what is this, what is the picture of human flourishing? What is the picture of, of encountering God that this practice, whether it's tucking my kids in at night or brushing my teeth or um, doing the laundry, what, how does this fold in to our Sunday liturgy? And how does this flow from our Sunday liturgy? And so that was kind of the key question that I began the book with, is making those connections, like imaginatively making those connections between mm. our daily life and our worship. But the, the lens that I was able to do that, the reason I was able to do that is because I was given the lens of liturgy um, mm. and to think about daily life as, as a liturgy in it itself in and of itself. Mm -hmm. One of the things I think is really um, helpful about your book, Tish, is <laughs> as you're waving children, go away. <laughs> I love it. I would love to see I your I should have done this in my office, but I didn't No, know it's good. Here. It just fits the theme. It's good. You can edit this out. <laughs> no, right? we're going to leave it. Yeah, we could, but my daughter. we won't. My daughter, my so, neighborhood. There's like 12 people in my house right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> right now, while you're recording an episode for a podcast, it always happens like that. One of the things that I think is really important about your book that I want to, um, our church planters who are listening, thinking, okay, you know, I get liturgy. How does this hit the ground for me? One of the things that I really want our listeners to pay attention to and to take really seriously 
is um, how uh, Always Forward talks about, we want to plant healthy churches with healthy church planters. Like the way we go about planting churches actually matters. And I'd even take that a little bit further to think this is where your book kind of can lean into us as church planters. So much of our day as church planters is stuck behind a computer screen or meeting people or hopefully praying and reading scripture. Um, Some of it's glamorous. Some of it's really not like a lot. Most of it's not glamorous. A lot of it's just really monotonous, really boring. A lot of it's by yourself. Um, And I think there's a um, kind of a temptation in the church planter brain to think, okay, I've got to get this other stuff done so I can get onto the real work of church planting, which is this, all this like really sexy, good stuff. That's like, I'm preaching and I'm like, you know, um, sharing life with people and at pubs or at coffee shops and doing these things. Um, and what I love about what your book is introducing to church planters, or at least kind of shedding some light on, is uh, that those practices that we may look at as mundane, that we want to maybe skip over and kind of just get to the good stuff, those are actually forming the kinds of people we're becoming and the kinds of pastors we're becoming and therefore the kinds of churches that we're planting. And uh, those, they can't be overlooked. And I think your book makes a really good argument for those mundane, plain, simple places where God is actually really quietly at work in probably the most profound ways um, that we often overlook. And I think, man, if we're going to be church planters who are actually planting healthy churches, we've got to pay attention to those mundane spaces and times of our life. Because I know a lot of our, our folks are, they got kids, they're working at home, they're doing a much of what you're doing even right now. I mean, I, I office out of the house, I know Dan does. We've got life going on and we're planting churches. Um, like our kids and that life is not an obstacle to the church. It's actually the space and that, the place and the habits in which God is forming us into the kinds of people that plant his bride, his beautiful church. Yeah, that is you know so, that's so well said. No, I totally agree with what you're saying. And that's really well said. And I mean, I, I also, you know, I think that um, sometimes the things that are shaping us the most are, are not, I mean, I think often the things that are shaping us the most are not the sexy things or exciting things. And it's not even necessarily like what we would want God to shape us with if we got to decide. I mean, I mm-hmm. think the things um, that we, the places we most need to grow often bring struggle and anxiety and tension. And so, um, you know, it's like, it's, there's a common thing to hear among, um, like marriage therapists that in, um, oftentimes you get to the place in marriage where the very thing that you need, the very thing that other person needs from you as a spouse is the very place you're weakest in. And and that there's this beauty in that. There's almost this, I mean, we would say as believers, there's this intentionality of that, that the Lord calls us into these relationships that are going to call forth out of us the, the very thing that is hardest for us to give. Because um, the Lord is not so much interested in, uh, in us being like thrilling and um, glamorous and spectacular people as he is in like making us whole and making us free and making us faithful. But that's like, that is such a long, slow work. And I think that's something that um, in the evangelical subculture I grew up in that I wasn't prepared for is just the long, slow work of, of holiness, you know, and um, that, you know, uh, long obedience in the same direction to you use Eugene Peterson's idea. 
mm-hmm. that um, growing in wisdom is often so quiet. And, um, and I do think church planning and, and ministry culture in general pushes us really often away from um, things like silence, things like rest, things like um, taking care of our bodies, things like experiencing beauty really intentionally. But those are the things that are actually going to make ministry and a church life sustainable over time. And um, without them, I mean, I remember in college, I'll tell this one story and then I can stop. But I was working, I was, there was this um, ministry happening in my life that seemed really cool and really edgy. I was working with recent immigrants and it was growing and it was just, it was this cool ministry that our church was doing. And I was friends with this Franciscan friar and he looked at me and he said, this ministry in your life is great, but you do not have the prayer life to sustain it over time, Hmm. which was a bold thing to say to me when everyone else was like, this is so great what you're doing. And, um, and he was dead right. I mean, within a year I was just exhausted and I was just spiritually depleted um, because I didn't have the kind of quiet rhythms to support that level of ministry in my life. And so I think um, if we want to build wisdom over time, if we want to build sustainable ministry over time, we have to begin to look at our daily life and even our boring life, the boring stuff, because God is really, really concerned and all wrapped up in the boring stuff, I think. Yeah. Well, you know, another thing that you said in, uh, in the book is that you said, I need rituals that encourage me to embrace what is repetitive, ancient, and quiet. But what I crave is novelty and stimulation. And uh, there's, that, that ties in so much to, to church planting because when we hear church planters tell stories um, about a successful church plant, they're like fish stories. You know, they're like, they're like yeah, <laughs> we didn't know what we were going to do. And then we gathered in a room together and we started praying. And the next week, 387 people showed up and then people were healed. From, I mean, it just goes to this, this they, they sort of push together all of these events where they don't go, well, but for the five years before that, we were praying right. and we were working and we were struggling and we, they, they leave out all that in, the, in telling the story of the church plan. And so church planters go into the work thinking, well, this is going to be pretty quick. Uh, I use the example sometimes of my wife likes to watch uh, HGTV shows and, uh, and all these like design shows and stuff. And so I hate, I hate it because, because they take like six weeks of work and shove it into 24 <laughs> minutes of television. You know, and my wife, my wife watches like, why can't you do that? <laughs> That's right. She'll go, oh, I have all these ideas about stuff we can do. I'm like, baby, I don't have six weeks <laughs> worth of time to put into this. Uh, but, but they leave out all of the stuff that you're talking about, all of the mundane, all of the routine, all of the sanding that has to go into the refinishing. They just go, this would look better blue. And then you come back from commercial. And it's, it's blue. blue. <laughs> and church yeah. planting the same way. And I, that's one of the things I just loved about your your book is it is that it gets to, it, it's bringing value into the the stuff that seems like we got to get this mess out of the way so we can get to what's really important. You're saying actually this stuff that you're pushing to the side is a great deal of what is truly really important. Yeah, totally. And I think there's something interesting in the story you told because the the part. Um, the part they leave out is the process, right? Like what right. we want to see is the beginning and then the, in, the most exciting part of those 
home remodeling shows is like the big unveiling at the end, right? Like, wow, like this beautiful thing. And I think that there's a tendency in us, uh, I don't know if this is as humans or Westerners or like contemporary Americans, I have no idea, but I, but I think there's a tendency to want this, to want to skip to the final product, you know, to like get there, to get to the place where the church is flourishing or to get to the place where our marriage is great or to get to the place where our kids are like grown up and successful and whatever. Uh, but most of our lives are spent on the process. And if we just want to skip to the end, that's like massive amounts of life that Jesus just, um, if, if we think that God is most concerned with kind of the end product, that's just a huge stretch of our time and our life and our churches that um, where we see we already miss God's work because yeah. God, I think is so interested in the process and in where we are right now. Like God is at work right now. And, um, and so I want to look at what is that? What, and, and that is, that is just right on the way to the process. Like that's, there's no, I mean, you know, we, Sean knows this, but our family has been through, the last six months have been really hard. We've had mm -hmm. two miscarriages. I lost my father. And I, and I, when I talk about that, I lost, my father died. But uh, when I talk about that, you know, there's no bow on it yet. Like I'm not ready to be like, and this is the great lesson of all that. And this is where I see God in that. But I just think that like mm -hmm. right now in my grief is the place that I'm called to meet Jesus today. Mm -hmm. with all the unanswered questions, with all the mm -hmm. doubts, with all the uncertainty. So I just think, I think that um, the, the process is so often what God's calling us into. And we don't know the result. We don't know. I, I mean, as church planners, you have no idea what your church is going to look like five years from now, mm -hmm. but, but God is at work today. And um, you know, it's, I think that he's more interested in the work he's doing today than, and he's got covered what it's going to look like five years from now. So yeah. I think leaning into the process that, of what the Lord is doing right now, instead of sort of waiting, I, I just, and not everyone does this, but my personality is, is there's a tendency to like, feel like I'm waiting for something, waiting for things to get right, or waiting for the, the results, or waiting for... And, um, but, but I think like right now in the waiting is where God's working. And so living in the tension of that, I think is really important or we're all, we're, we're going to be, we're going to miss it. You know, we're always going to be waiting for the time when we really see God working instead of noticing the theophanies, the places God is revealing himself in this moment and in this day and like mm -hmm. right where we are in the tension, in the mess, in the frustrations with this, you know, our relationships with our parishioners and, or fellow church planners or whatever, like in the mess of that is um, exactly where God's working and calling us. Mm -hmm. And and so we don't need to wait for things to get better. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. yeah. 
I think, you know, one thing, Dan, do you, would you agree as Tish is talking, I'm thinking, you know, most of our church planting life is, is, well, not, I wouldn't say most, a great deal of the church planters experience is uh, somehow like involved with some degree of grief. <laughs> like we live in grief uh, yeah. quite often. Yeah. And um, I, I mean, I remember that. And so I can just, I totally, I haven't made that connection before Tish, but hearing you, and this is nothing that compares to the grief that you've undergone even recently. Um, And, you know, I I love you and I've been praying for you and and, and your family. Um, But I do think there's something here that really connects with the lived experience of a church planter, which is um, just that kind of, are we going to have to close the doors this month? Um, Is anybody going to come? What did they think about that sermon that I bombed? You know, there's like, there's this, 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 this re- the repetitive thing, this, this place that you can get in as a church planter that can feel really like, am I going to be able to provide for my family? Is this a responsible thing to be planting a church? You know, there's better ways to make money. You know, <laughs> This is crazy. I remember being in Santa Cruz planting um, with Rob Patterson, Redeemer Anglican Church. And there was a period of time where every month we were, um, we would come to the place where we'd be on our knees in our office saying, God, we thought this was your idea. And it seems like maybe it's not. And like grieving the possibility that, you know what, maybe this, maybe this isn't going to work out. Like, you know, I don't know how this is going to work. And month after month, God would bring us right to the very, very edge of our faith and, and even grief in a lot of ways. And he would provide and, and, you know, Redeemer's doing so great now. Um, but every, and even in Austin, uh, we've in planting churches, I think it's, it's normal to say this, you just live in grief. Um, it's not, and, and we paint a picture of just the excitement of church planting and it is totally exciting and it is a lot of fun. It's like some of the greatest work of my life has been involved in starting new churches. I mean, seeing what God's doing. Um, but there's a whole other side to that experience. Um, and Dan, you're probably a rock star, so you don't have this experience, but I, I personally just experienced like a lot of grief and a lot of burden just where those, where I think, um, do I have the kind of spiritual like the prayer stamina to endure this my gosh this is incredible um and for the work of church planting to be resting on a lot of like young young folks especially that is a that is an immense burden mm-hmm. um and so i think i think tish what your book offers especially our church planters going through this is like um a way of looking at their 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 faith the way they inhabit the christian faith as anglicans with the, with liturgy with sacraments there are these places for us to hide there are these places for us to be comforted and nourished. And there's a way for us to inhabit this, this heavy grief and burden um, that doesn't crush us. That's yep. actually that we can find God in the ordinary times of our lives. Like he's present with us. He's not abandoned us. And I think that's good news for church. Planning. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's dangerous when we plant church planning. I mean, when we, when we paint church planning or ministry in general as this glamorous activity of, of sort of um, every day walking in greater and greater spiritual depths and excitement of God. Because I just think like unavoidably life is really daily. And so, um, so stuff like family budgeting and church budgeting and finances and um, man, you know, setting up chairs and um, figuring out like, Hey, how are we going to get like food at this event? And should we have food at this event? And how are we going to pay for food at this event? And like that kind of stuff is, um, it's just the daily work of ministry. 
It's not why anyone goes into ministry. No one goes into ministry because they love church budgets. Well, most people don't. <laughs> or because they love setting up chairs. But that's what it looks like day to day. And so uh, we got to figure out how to meet God in that. We got to figure out how to meet God in, uh, in sleeping and yeah. in caring for our kids and in um, taking care of our bodies. Because that's, if we don't figure out what a life in Christ looks like on a, on a, like one of the book thing, the grounding quotes, in my book is that um, Annie Dillard's quote, the way we spend our days is of course the way we spend our life. So if we don't figure out in our actual days, of the family budgets and sleeping and dinners and meetings, what it looks like to live a life in Christ. Um, if we don't figure out a day in Christ, we, we can't figure out a life in Christ. And so um, I think we need to step away from painting things as really glamorous and sexy and talk a lot more about the daily. I mean, yeah. I mean that literally, like it's been really helpful to talk to friends about like, how do we honor God with our family budget? You know, when we like really just want enough scraping to get enough money to like, Mm-hmm. get a latte every day or like whatever mm-hmm. your mm-hmm. thing is. Um, so, but like those kinds of questions are really reveal, I think so much of what my soul clings to for comfort and, and also reveals a lot of anxiety in me and like the place that I need to trust God today. Uh, trusting God is not theoretical in our daily life, in our daily life, it's like, I need to trust God in this particular relationship or with this particular financial struggle or with this particular struggle with my kid. And I think that we need to sort of learn what it means to trust God in those really specific ways that are so contextual, that are so like in our daily life uh, that, you know, no one's going to write a, a book about that in your particular life. And in my books, not, I mean, my book can't be that specific, but my favorite responses to my book have been people who have sort of taken my book and then like imaginatively entered their daily life in a new and different way and thinking like, what does it mean to meet God in this particular struggle? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'll say one more thing about, I, I'm really interested in what you said about the life of the church planner being a lot of grief. Um, we're not in a church plant now, as Sean knows, but I think, I think the life of ministry in general has a lot of grief in it. And, um, and I think we need to think as pastors of, of liturgies of the ordinary, like, like ways in our daily life that we can make space for that and that we can really grieve and that we can really like talk to the Lord about that and admit it. Because if not, I think it's going to always end up coming out weird, like sideways in our church life and ministry life and in some unhealthy ways. I was talking to a pastor this week um, over coffee from actually from a different denomination. But he just, he said to me, this is what he said. He's going through a really hard time in several areas of his life. Uh, Just broken relationships, disappointments, things he was hoping would work out that didn't. And he said, I'm really going through this season of grief and I realize I don't have time to grieve because I'm in ministry. And I thought, man, well, you either grieve it now or you'll end up grieving it later somehow or another. Um, But 
you know, like deal with it now or, or deal with it later, but it's going to be way harder and worse to deal with it later. And so I think as we're thinking about the rhythms of our work life, the rhythms of our, when you look at, uh, I'm talking about just looking at a week, a month, a year, we've got to be really intentional about carving out space for silence, for prayer, for meeting God and grief. Um, because that, that just, I think that just irreducibly has to be part of our life as, as church planners and pastors. Um, because if we don't deal with the ways that we are grieving or hurting or doubting now, I, I don't think we're going to have a love of God that is sustainable. I mean, I, I, right. I think that we, I, you don't want to plan a successful church and then not love God, you know, right. like three years <laughs> later. Right? right. So, yeah. um, so I think that even now, like the things like silent days, we need to think really intentionally about building into our ministry life. Yeah. You know, and I think that's true. It's such a good lesson for church planters who tend to be so concerned about the the nuts and bolts of planting and how do we, re, how do we achieve a particular result, which is usually uh, sustainability for the church itself, that they oftentimes neglect not only their own health, but the health of the team that they're working with as well. And so, so what happens is um, their team gets burned out because they're sold on sort of a vision of let's look at the big picture of what we want to see this church become and what could happen if the gospel is just unleashed on this community and it's these big picture, exciting, passionate vision things. And then, and then, and then, the weekly and uh, daily responsibilities are we have to clean these toilets before <laughs> people show up, you know, right. and we have to set up these chairs, as you mentioned before. And, and they, and they gladly do that to begin with, but, but they, but they start to say, I mean, teams start to say, although they probably wouldn't articulate it this way, they'll say, I didn't sign up for this. You know, I mean, I signed up, I signed up for this big stuff that we talked about. I didn't sign up for cleaning toilets. And what's that doing uh, in, in this, you've given this grand story of the scripture about how God's renewing the world. And we're a part of that in church planting, just like the apostles were. And now I'm cleaning a darn toilet, right? And, uh, and I don't understand how the two things come together. And that's what you've done so beautifully in this book. Like for, for those of you who are listening who haven't, who haven't read Liturgy of the Ordinary yet, um, what, what Tish does in it is, is, as she said, she works through a day uh, in, in life. And so, so the first chapter is waking, and, and she connects that to baptism and, uh, and making the bed and brushing teeth and losing keys and eating leftovers and fighting with her husband and email and all of these, these different chapters go through sort of step by step. Step. How how can we love and honor God in all of these normal parts of our lives? And I'm, I'm telling you, this is a this is a lesson that our church planters need to hear. We we have we have conferences in the church planting world called exponential, right? Like, like I mean, big, big, people write books called funny called, about that. called <laughs> radical. You know, I mean everything. I mean, people are naming their church like velocity, super <laughs> fast. I mean, like everything is big and shiny and super fast. positive. Yeah. And uh, nobody, nobody's like the daily grind of a normal life church. You know, <laughs> no, nobody names their church as that. So this is such an important lesson for our planters and for their teams as well, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And that's absolutely why I wrote the book is I'm totally from that culture. And, um, but I, I want to be like, for some of the, like, I mean, I'm not old at all, but some of the, the like young folks, like right and new to ministry, I want to be like the ghost of Christmas future to be like, <laughs> listen, like 
You need to build practices over time that will like sustain your soul through this because um, it, God will do incredible, exciting, beautiful things. Um, but I talk, about, I talk about the metaphor of eating in the book in one of my chapters. And I talk about, um, you know, there are very few, few meals in my life that I remember. There's a few, like, incredibly good meals I remember. There's a few incredibly bad meals I remember. Um, like, I remember, and I bring up this meal we had in Boston in Boston's North End, which is like, it's little Italy, which is like, it's like one of the best meals I've ever had in my life. Like, I remember that. But if you asked me like what I had three weeks ago for lunch on Monday, like I couldn't tell you. But nevertheless, those are the meals that have sustained me, these thousands and thousands of forgotten meals. And I feel like um, in some sense, like living for the ecstasy and the excitement and the incredibleness and the, you know, um, it's like, it's like not eat. It's like thinking that the point of eating is like the, you know, five or six incredible meals that I remember from my life. Mm. Instead of like, we need this constant nourishment. We need this daily bread. And I feel like um, it's disordered. It's a disordered way of thinking. And, and, uh, and so we need wisdom to um, even think about what is a, what's a life in Christ look like over time. Uh, and, and I don't want to say like, and it's all boring and hard because it's not. I mean, God is at work and it's beautiful, but it's almost a reorientation to begin to notice the ways that God is at working, that God is working where there's not fireworks around it, but nevertheless, God is doing something really beautiful. And so, um, yeah, I totally come from that same culture. And I think, um, there's a lot of ancient wisdom in the church that's kind of uh, about pausing and about learning the wisdom of God, which is often slow and which often involves like our daily bread. Right. Well, you know, um, I have two young sons. Um, They just both had birthdays. So they're 11 and nine. And uh, my wife, uh, um, for for those of you out there have not met my wife, she's, she's very kind and bubbly and smiley. And she's just, she's just very bright person all the time. And so, but one of the things that, that drives her insane is when my kids say, I'm bored right? Because they're surrounded by stuff, right? And, and all of their toys and everything like that. And so my wife has, has, has taken to say to them when they say, I'm bored, she'll go, so? <laughs> she'll, say, she'll, say, she'll, say, she'll say, you're not too good to be bored. And, uh, and, and lately she's added on this part of saying, uh, of saying, you know, maybe the problem is not that there's not enough stuff outside of you, but we have to wake up the stuff that's inside of you. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and I think that's a lot of what you're referencing to in here is that we don't need more external stimulation, stimu, stimulation, uh, that, uh, uh, we, w- what we need to do is, is we need to recognize God at work. Well, in, in the ordinary, that's, that's sort of the title of the book, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I tell this story, this is like consistently people say this is one of their favorite stories in the book of, um, Jonathan had this professor when he was getting his PhD, who's this like amazing, he's a uh, ex Jesuit priest, I think turned professor, got married, became a professor, uh, like 
one of the world experts on the father's like incredible knowledge of church history. He just sit with him and he's just kind of like oozes like the wisdom of the early church fathers. And, um, but there's, uh, he, he was making his class read, um, the confessions, like Augustine's confessions and a student came and met with him and, and was like whining about it. Like, why do we have to read this book? And the student said, it's boring. And the professor said, it's not boring. You're boring. <laughs> and, and what he meant is like, if like you as a person have become too boring to understand the beauty of this book. I mean, he, what he said is like, this book has been read for thousands of years by millions of people, it's going to be, it will outlive both of us. Like, this is not boring. This is like sustained people and generations. Mm -hmm. No one's going to remember you. No one's going to remember anything you have to say a hundred years from now, and they're still going to be reading Augustine's confession. And so he meant like, if you, if you don't have eyes to see this, it's like you, that's the problem here. And I totally get that. I mean, I feel like there are so many things of God, like the, the, even our idea. I mean, I think even the idea that there's this sort of like excitement, like what you were talking about, like velocity, like amazingness of God. And then there's this sort of like boring, quiet stuff maybe exactly reversed i think in the eyes of god I and mean, i think when we hear the at the end of days when we like get to hear our stories from the lord which i don't know if we do but i picture heaven as sort of like god telling us our stories and 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 we get it for the first time right cuz he's the only one who really knows our story that some of the most beautiful like rapturous parts of that are going to be like and then your grandmother prayed for you. And I heard that prayer. And just these silent things. And then you cared for a neighbor. And you don't even remember this part of your life. But that was, that was such a work. of That was my work in your heart that you were able to, like, forgive and care for that neighbor. Like, I just feel like some of the things that are going to sort of most blow our mind are things that we might not even notice now. And that is just the Lord working. And I think it's because in our, in our state as sinners, we don't even know what's a big deal and a small deal. We don't even know what's really boring and really beautiful that I think um, we get so, we get so brittle and, and, and hollowed out by our sin that we don't even have eyes to see some of the like glories that are around us and the smallest things. And so, um, I don't know where I was going with that. I was sort of just starting to preach, but mysteriously, <laughs> I think the Lord um, takes these things that we think are boring and I don't think they're boring to God. I think that God is like mightily and massively at work. And, it, and I see this in myself. Like I can talk about God on Twitter all day and be so bored of God with God at the end of the day. Whereas if I actually like, am engaged in um, people and in beauty and in worship, like the, the glories of God are endless, right? They're just, there's more and more facets of God that inspire wonder. But there are ways that I can sort of talk and think about God 
where I can spend a whole week talking about God and never experience wonder. And I think that that's the, there's something, the problem there isn't God is boring. The problem is that I'm boring Mm -hmm. and I've, and I've been emptied out enough that I'm not, I can't see the glory and wonder that God is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> one, one real quick story to add on to that. Cause I resonating with it so much when um, I had really fallen away from the Lord quite a bit when I was in college and uh, was through a series of events that, that um, scared me pretty bad. I had started to kind of come back around and was really contemplating God more and coming back to a place of, of repentance. And uh, my belief had never gone away. It was a more of a prodigal son kind of experience, I think. But, but one night as I was really processing through a lot of this stuff, I was walking back from, from, um, uh, from something that I was out and, and walking along the paths at college and uh, walked by a guy and was just trying to, to make conversation. And I said, it's a beautiful night, isn't it? And he said, uh, he said, yes, praise Jesus for it. And that's all I said. Like I, this guy could walk in the room right now and I would not recognize him and he wouldn't remember that moment in any way. But because I was at this place in my life where I was searching for God and, and, and it was, it was really, I was asking him to do big things. I wasn't sure if I was able to come back uh, after kind of slipping away in the way that I had. And there, I was thinking on this big level when he just, when he just was in that moment, recognizing that God was a part of that night, it, um, it broke something inside of me that, that made me realize the presence of God, even as I was walking back to my dorm room after a night of doing whatever I was doing. And, uh, um, and, and it was one of the key moments of really bringing me back to around a place of rededicating my, dedicating myself to the service of the Lord. And so again, he'll never know that. Maybe hopefully Jesus will tell him, maybe I get to tell him, I don't know, (laughs) Um, but it was, uh, but it was pretty significant. I think that's what you're articulating right there too. And, um, and what can be driven home then to our planters is, uh, is, is how we go about our daily lives and how we go about our ministries in the communities that we're in working with the teams that we we have recognizing God in those daily moments are going to be more effective than trying to plant a church that's 500 people big. I mean, who cares about the size? It's, it's about the, the quality and the depth and the, um, and the, and the fullness of God in it. Yeah, absolutely. It, one of my very favorite quotes from GK Chesterton is, um, and he, he talks about, we have sinned and grown old and our father is younger than we, that hmm. he talks about God has an eternal infancy and that God himself is always full of wonder. So I think if, um, if what we're trying to do is to walk towards the exciting things and avoid the boring stuff of church planning and ministry life, uh, what we're, we have sinned and grown old and we're going to end up, um, we're going to end up, missing the stuff that's really beautiful, that's really full of wonder. But if we walk towards God, if we seek God, um, and that often is going to look like small things and setting up chairs and caring for the church person who you know is not going to be a big tither, who you know is a little socially awkward, probably not going to lead something amazing in your church, that you just care for them because they're there. That um, those that in in the seeking of God is where joy lies. It's where excitement lies. It where, it's where wonder lies. But it's like we have to learn over time how to have eyes to see that. And if we just seek the exciting stuff, we're gonna we're gonna miss that. We're gonna miss learning that, and we're gonna end up we're gonna end up burning out. Right. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tish, I think I I think the big contribution personally that this book made to me as a church planter was along the lines of giving me those eyes to see. Um, whereas I might look like to something really, really interesting, like the Eucharist or something. Um, and that's great. And you should look at that too. But, um, but like sleeping. We couldn't finish an episode no. without you bringing yeah, we, back to the Eucharist. John. We, there's we, a whole like, chapter on the Eucharist. And, <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying it's not. Oh gosh, come on. But what, what I'm saying, you've, you've uh, and I think it, folks who read this, they're really at risk of becoming aware of God in very, very surprising, very non-flashy places in their everyday life. And I think that can be a real gift. Um, one of the things that I love, awesome. I love sleep when I can get it. Um, one of the, one of the things you say in the very end of your book, you say, what if Christians were known as a counterculture, countercultural community of the well-rested people yeah. who embrace our limits with zest and even joy. And I think, you know, wouldn't that be so, <laughs> wouldn't that be amazing to have a reputation of, uh, that is a place of, that is a that is a community that is a person um that is a church that is just like a place of rest those people know how to rest really well yeah um that that like kind of aspiration for a church planter when you think of the beautiful things that you want that god is like calling your church to become they begin in like really plain places like your own ability to sleep well mm-hmm. and to say five o'clock i'm off and my sermon's not done but you know what? It's five o'clock and I'm going to go rest. I'm going to play with my kids. I'm going to go on the trampoline. I'm going to, um, you know, I'm going to do something else. These like understanding our limits, not taking ourselves so seriously, not idolizing ourselves or thinking too much of ourselves, but, but really becoming aware of the presence of God in these really plain places. To me, this is how, this is how it like really landed on me. These are the places where beautiful churches are planted. Mm. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like not, not from, I mean, the pulpit matters. The table matters. Um, so I'm not, I'm not taking anything away from that. I'm saying the kind of people we're becoming matters too. And that happens in the most unexpected, unflashy places that no one sees. Um, so it matters. Wouldn't you think? Wouldn't uh, you agree with that? I love that. I like totally love everything you just said. I want to like put it on the back of my book. Um, I love the idea that... <laughs> You're a co-author now, Sean. <laughs> yeah, I've always wanted to be that I thought. (laughs) (laughs) Sean did look. Sean gave me feedback on some on some of the chapters of the book, so his hand is in this book. But uh, I remember you writing this, thinking until just like grieving the whole time. Like this is so hard. Oh my gosh, it's so much work. And I'm like, this probably this is a lot of work. But I just co-authored a book in like ten seconds. It's not that bad. (laughs) 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 I'm just. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so I totally agree with that. I love the idea of risking um, meeting God in, in the quiet places. And uh, and yeah, totally. I mean, I think it's the temptation, right, is to be like, I'm going to like work really hard. I'm going to burn myself out and my family. And then once this church gets to a certain place, then I can rest. Right. And it's just, but my, the whole, a huge point of my book is that like you build the habits that make you. So there's no reason to think if you're building habits of restlessness, habits of anxiety, habits of um, workaholism, that, you know, three years from now, you're going to suddenly be a person with different habits because you've, made, you've achieved the thing you meant to achieve. And so... I used to say, I'll sleep when I'm 30 and I'm 35. <laughs> <laughs> I still say that. But it's true. We always... I would say, I'll sleep when I'm 30. I'll have time for it then. It doesn't have to change. But it... And... Um, 
so that, yeah, I wish someone would have told me this earlier is that there's the, the habits that you build now that's going to make who you are. And so uh, don't think that suddenly you're going to have different habits. Like the time to build the habits is starting now because right. it's really hard. It's really, really hard. And so exactly what you're talking about, Sean, is the place that I struggle with. I mean, mm. um, it's been interesting since this book has come out and done well, and I've been speaking on it, people then think, and I feel like I can share this with my, you, you know, this is like my Anglican tribe, so I can like be totally honest here, but. Yeah, it's just the, the three of us, don't worry, just the yeah. three of us. No one else, no one else. <laughs> <laughs> but then people think that like, so I'm the expert on this. Like I go to sleep every night and live <laughs> in this like, um, sort of joyous, constant transcendence, and I'm constantly patient with my children and my spouse. I mean, Sean doesn't know. Sean knows this isn't true because he's lived with us in life. But, <laughs> um, but it's funny that no, you guys got it all together. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. What, do do you make one. your bed every day, though? Do you make your bed every day? I do most days now. Okay. Yeah, I all do. Right. I do make my bed, all but right. I am um, because it's a habit, right? But uh, <laughs> but I think. Um, the reason I wrote this book is because this is what I struggle with. Like everyone, usually the writers I know write out of where they are struggling, right out of where they're weak. And so the hardest chapter for me is the sleep chapter is like embracing rest and, and exactly what Sean was saying, saying like, I'm, I'm going to stop now because limits, because me acknowledging my limit is part of worship and me saying no to, no to this or not taking on this commitment or not. This is part of worship. Um, and it's part of wisdom. And so, um, yeah, like even just, even just observing the limits of my body in rest and, and especially taking on practices like Sabbath and that is like, so it's, it is hard for me. And so, um, but I think if we want to be the sort of people that, um, learn to worship in our daily life, then this, it's exactly what Sean was saying. It's not getting to a place of success, quote unquote, in the Christian life. It's like who we are becoming today. Um, that's the question that we hold before God. And, and so um, I wrote this book completely because I wrestle with that. Well, I know that a lot of our church planners are going to get a ton out of it. And I, again, we commend it to you. Liturgy of the Ordinary by Tish Warren. If you haven't read the book, go to Amazon, buy two, three copies, <laughs> send one to your buddy, you know, send, send a couple to your, a couple buddies. It's just one of those gifts. Tish, and I, I, I bet when you were writing this, you weren't thinking, man, this is going to be a huge blessing to church planners. Um, but, but as a church planter who has read it, uh, this is, I, so I, and I know Dan, it's been a, a gift to you as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we really do like planting healthy churches with healthy church planters is not just some sort of tagline. Like we really mean that it really matters at the end of the day, the churches that are going to, are, are going to thrive and last are, um, the ones that have been an act of worship from the beginning have been this really healthy way of being a Christian and inviting others into that life. Um, those are the churches, uh, that are, are just going to really like exude the beauty of God in our neighborhoods and in our own lives. And like Tish said, we could plant the most amazing church and then hate God and hate ourselves. And that's not going to be worth it. So um, thank you, Tish, for the gift of this book, Liturgy of the Ordinary, Tish Warren, everybody go pick it up. And thanks for, um, thanks for hanging out with us for a little bit, just to 
chat about the book and to, to, to kind of take a slow walk through it. It's been a good time to just uh, kick some ideas around. And I know that our listeners are going to be, uh, are going to benefit a great deal from it. So thank you for your time. Yeah. Thank you. encouraged by that conversation with my friend Tish and Dan. What what uh-huh. a good conversation that was. I hope that yep. I know, I know our church planners are just going to really um, be able to reflect on. And even, I mean, I hope we make some changes that we kind of take, take a look at those, those, uh, those um, lesser known times of our day and, and ask God, like, how are you present here? What do you want me to change? What are some of the ways that I can be aware of your presence in my ordinary day, in my ordinary life? Um, I do, yeah. I really do think, and I, ho- I don't mean to harp on this, but I do think um, it, it does matter when we have healthy, godly Christian folks planting healthy churches. I think that actually makes a huge mm-hmm. difference. So I hope this mm-hmm. has been a help to you. And uh, I know it's been an encouragement to Dan and I. I hope it's, it helps you all in your life and ministry. Yeah, absolutely. The book is uh, Liturgy of the Ordinary. That was Tish Warren. And uh, we thank you for listening and, uh, and join us again in two weeks from now with, the next, uh, with our next installment of the podcast. And between now and then, it would be super helpful to us if you would go on iTunes and leave, leave us a review. That would, be, uh, that would be wonderful. You can also extend this discussion a little bit by jumping on Facebook, on our Facebook page, and leaving a comment there and visiting us on the website at always forward.com. So uh, have a great week, church planters. We'll be back soon. Let's talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Always Forward podcast. Visit us at www.always-forward.com for more resources, to submit your questions, or to interact with us. See you next time.